Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. That is and me. That's Dylan. And we're here again, as we are. I. It feels bad to say every week after our track record over the last couple months, but we're back to every week, so take that. Uh, and this week, I wanted to talk about combat. And I feel like this is a topic that we, like, we have talked about this from, like, more angles than maybe anything else on this show. But in particular, I wanted to talk about the the way that different games like abstract the idea of combat. Because and that that's a very heady way of putting this, but really all I mean is that like all games are to some degree an abstraction. Like we're we're playing with systems that have been created to simulate whatever the game is about. So every game has its own, like, kind of... Rules of engagement. Yeah, that's a good... That's a kind of a good way of putting it. It has its own rules of engagement. It has its its own systems that are, are holding it all together. It has its own kind of fantasy that it is trying to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those systems vary wildly. And how they choose to be... Mani- how, like, how they choose to manifest those systems in a game... I think has a ton to do with the overall tone of whatever game you're playing. Like, maybe more than any other systems mechanic in most games. And the thing that put this in my head is that recently I have been playing, or not super recently, but earlier in in the long and arduous quarantine, I replayed the first three Assassin's Creed games. Okay. And... I still really love those games. I think that they they hold up much better than I was expecting them to. And one of the things that I love is that so, in those sorry, early games... Sorry, I have to ask real yeah. quick. I'm sorry. When, when you say first three Assassin's Creeds, do you mean Assassin's Creed 1, Assassin's Creed 2, and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? Or I Assassin's do, yes. Creed 1, 2, 3? Okay. No, I mean 1, 2, and Brotherhood. Uh, I haven't gotten into my replay of Revelations yet. I was going to do like all the way through the series, and I, I kind of lost steam on that. I was about um, to say that's a lot of Assassin's Creed yeah, to go through. Yeah. And that's through. kind of what it was like I I bulldozed through those first 3 games and I very much like ate up my Assassin's Creed appetite. Uh so Chris, I'm I'm letting that rest for a little bit before I get back into Revelations. Even with a year in between each entry, I burned out by yeah. Revelations. <laughs> so um, like just keep that in mind. Like yeah, it's yeah. a it's a good formula, but oh man, do the it's a yearly formula. releases not do that series any favors? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, but the thing about Assassin's Creed, or one of the things about it that I think is really cool, is that because they had this in-fiction conceit, like the, the main conceit of the Assassin's Creed games, is that you are a person in the near future who is using technology to access the memories of someone in the distant past. And so using that conceit, they they built the actual control scheme of the game kind of into that fiction where it's explained to you as if you are the person in the future doing the controlling as like this puppeteering system. So in those games, the A button is for the feet, the X button is for the armed hand, the B button is for the unarmed hand, and the Y button is for the head. I forgot that was generally the logic speaking. behind it. 
Yeah, yeah that, and it, that that was always really cool. Yeah, and they but that was kind of the the way that the game operated for those first 3 games and it worked very well in like both in terms of being a pretty easy to grasp control scheme because then you also like if you pulled the trigger that would change you from like low profile you're doing things like a normal human to high profile you're going to climb up the side of a building like a goddamn spider monkey mode um but the what each of the buttons did so you know in in low profile mode holding a would make you walk slowly so that you can blend into a crowd while in high profile mode holding a would make you jump uh stuff like that and so it was a very concise way of doing it and similarly, when you're in combat, those buttons work the same way. So X would swing your sword, or if you're holding the trigger, X would perform a parry. B would grab someone, or if you're holding the trigger, deflect a grab. Uh, a would dodge, or if you're holding the trigger, like advance and lunge. And so that was kind of the way that combat worked. It was it it made a lot of sense. It wasn't the most fun. Combat in those games was not bad, but especially in the first Assassin's Creed, it was kind of clunky, and it wasn't like, it wasn't why you played the game. It's almost like in a stealth game, combat shouldn't be good yeah. or feel satisfying to yeah. use. And then fast forward, I also, I, I got into this Assassin's Creed replay because I had been playing a little bit of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is currently the newest Assassin's Creed game set in ancient Greece. And boy howdy, they have changed the I was combat about to say, controls. It really sounds like you skipped the foreplay there. Yeah, uh, it it plays like Dark Souls, kind of. What? They've moved, not 100%, but they moved the attack functions to your trigger. Right. Because so light attack is one trigger, it. heavy attack is the bumper, or maybe I have that backwards, I haven't played it in a bit. And then you've got like dodging with some wet with the buttons you can grab similarly uh and then if you hold like the left trigger it activates like you you have different skills you can equip to like trigger plus face button and it like it's not that it's bad but it was so dramatically not what i was expecting and it to me didn't quite gel the same way i felt like they had a really kind of clever in fiction way of doing it that Somebody is subwoofering my apartment right now. I apologize if any of that got picked up in the oh in gosh. the audio. Um, but there, it it lost a little bit of like that clarity. And also, here's the thing that I I hated. Uh, the thing that like I actively think was just bad. In you know how in Dark Souls, you have attack. You know, light and heavy attack with the right two triggers, and then you can block if you have a shield you hold the shield up with the the left trigger and if you tap it you will do a parry so to parry in assassin's creed uh, odyssey you have to hit both shoulder buttons simultaneously what and i i the only thing i can think of is that they had too many things that they wanted you to be able to do so that was the only like button mapping left that really made sense there's gotta be, there's gotta be a way to have it not be like that. Yeah, and like I'm sure I didn't spend a lot of time like in the in the key binding menu. There probably was a way I could have altered that. There might have been alternate like uh, default control layouts I could have played with. But the fact that that was the default just like blew my mind because it it felt like they were trying to. And this is this is a complaint I have about the later Assassin's Creed games in general. 
they're trying to mash together like open world RPGs with stealth gameplay, with hack and slash gameplay, with uh, all kinds of different like game modes that don't quite gel together. And while they're not bad, like a lot of them is a lot of it is fun. I have a lot of fun playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey when I pick it up, but it it it. it in no way feels like a cohesive experience and the combat in it is kind of a microcosm of that, I guess. Uh, that was a long-winded intro, but that's kind of what I want to talk about. It's like games, how how do you, how does a combat system influence the way a game feels, like from a narrative perspective, from an atmospheric perspective, from like a holistic, is this a cohesive game perspective? Uh, right. And I thought a reasonable place to start would be maybe with like some of the most abstracted versions of this oh boy do i have a lot of those in my please bag. hit me with one then <laughs> um <laughs> i guess let's start with um i'm I'm like throwing a dart at the wall yeah just go to for see it. which one to start with uh let's start with fire emblem actually okay yeah yeah i like this yeah so fire emblem is a game all about leading an army or rather a 15 20 at most uh yeah. <laughs> squad of uh people across a map dealing with um terrain you know enemies uh ambushes stuff like that um and in most fire emblem games the point is to get from one end of the map to another and so the the first abstraction in fire emblem is the fact that you know um you are taking turns with the enemy ai so you get to move all of your characters and then your turn ends, and then the enemy gets to move all of their characters, and you, you switch off um, back and forth until you get into a combat encounter. And so a combat encounter occurs when one of your units or is in attack range of one of their units, or vice versa. And ranges can vary based on character. Basically, all the entire outcome of a fight, you can kind of estimate based on character stats every character has their own set of stats um with different skills different talents um they have different growth rates when they level up so as you play the game more and more you get a feel for what each uh individual character's talents are and you can basically look at these numbers and if you know the formulas or you you you've played the, the game before you can kind of estimate how a battle is going to go but if you're about to initiate combat, they also have a battle forecast for you. There's a little window that tells you the probabilities of the attacks, uh, how much damage each character is going to do. And so there's a lot of transparency when playing Fire Emblem. And so combat is kind of planning ahead and thinking ahead and kind of guessing like, all right, if I move this unit here, this unit might attack them but I know that they'll survive because I just did the math. Yeah. And so when combat actually happens in Fire Emblem, it's more of a payoff and you're, you're kind of watching a little cutscene play out and you're like, Oh God, I hope I really hope I was right. And I don't get hit or I, I hope I was right. And this attack won't kill me. But what if the enemy lands a critical hit? Oh no, that could be really bad. That could be incredibly shitty, you know, just mm -hmm. like little stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, and that's that's kind of the excitement of Fire Emblem is trying to, like you are you are gambling to a certain extent, but you're 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 planning ahead, and then the combat is kind of like a, all right, did it work? Did you get yeah. what you wanted? They do a really good job of balancing, like info you can count on to, random number generation, 
in term like it it feels like a very satisfying balance and a lot of that uh under the, like behind the scenes is that the random numbers are hardly like heavily skewed in your favor that's like a game design fact um, right but yeah fire emblem does a really good job of like letting you do that kind of puzzling out in your head with like fairly good information which i really like and i think it works really well uh because fire emblem is, is as a series at least the games that i've played like the stories are about individual members of the band but a lot of the fun of playing it comes from like you become attached to the characters on your team that you like yeah they all have you know usually fairly one note but still endearing or interesting personalities they have the chance to have conversations with each other that make like flesh them out further and build relationships so that every time you send a character you really like into harm's reach that bond you formed makes that little sliver of randomness even more tense i i will say that even having not played like even like dipping my toes into the older titles in the game in the series where the the emphasis is less on the characters and less on the writing mm-hmm. even then i still have like i develop some form of attachment with characters just based on their design maybe the one or two lines of flavor text they get um and you know their their performance in battle uh i i think you know because it's a game you don't necessarily need to know a unit's personality traits to form an attachment to them. I, I think it's the same way with Pokemon. Yeah, it's... We humans are very good at personifying things. Yeah. We are... we are Give us a rock with a pattern on it that looks like a face, and we will personify it. Like, it's it that is kind of just a thing of human nature, and that's something that designers of games like Fire Emblem with those big but not particularly well fleshed out casts also, take advantage of. Also, this is why I will defend silent protagonists until yeah. the day I die. Yeah, no, silent protagonists work so well because we're very good at projecting personality and inferring personality onto anything, uh, which is something we could probably do a whole episode on. Uh, yeah. Like, we've talked about silent protagonists before, but like, this is a different we can, thing. We can that broaden it. A I think it's very cool. Um, Write that down, Chris. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna I'll throw forget. that. I'll throw that in a note somewhere. <laughs> okay. uh, the next step, I kind, I, I, I think we can't do this episode without talking about fighting games, right? Yeah. Like that's if if you want to talk about combat in games, fighting games are just kind of like that's all they is, and they have such a particular approach to it like the the fact of for example memorizing move lists learning frame data learning uh matchups learning about how to play fighting games to the point that you can like figure out what your opponent is going to do fighting games are about as in a way unabstracted as combat gets like you're still, you know, sitting, pushing buttons buttons on a big paddle. But uh, there was actually a really great video that was recently put out by um, Patrick Gill at Polygon talking about the influence of Bruce Lee on fighting mm. games. Okay, and yeah. That it's very sense. good. You should, you should go watch it. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. But You'll one of the things he brings up is that Bruce Lee's whole philosophy and the way he fights in his movies is how fighting games work. Like, all of... If you watch a movie with Bruce Lee in it, if you watch uh, 
Tower of Death. Tower of, is that the name of it? I, I think. don't know. Uh, yeah. Game of Death. Game of Game Death, of death, death too, is what I'm also of. known as Tower of Death. Yeah, Game of Death or uh, Enter the Dragon or any any of Bruce Lee's like iconic flicks. The fights always start with like jockeying for position, them testing each other's ranges. That's footsie in a fighting game. That's the point where like you're trading back and forth and throwing out hits and trying to see if you can get anything or catch someone slipping. Right. A lot of his fights involve counter hits or like making big reads there's a there's a great fight in game of death where he like he gets caught by his opponent doing the same thing three times in a row and then baits his opponent into doing that thing again and gets the drop on him for it if you watch something like the fight between chuck norris and or bruce lee and chuck norris i think that's also in game of death that's a fight all about bruce lee getting the download on chuck norris like, Chuck Norris kicks his ass for a little bit, and then Bruce Lee figures out how he's fighting and takes him to town. Like, fighting games are very much a, like, even though they are, you know, as abstracted as any other video game, they have a much more, like, close-to-real-life combat feel. Yeah. Uh, which I just think is really cool. Like, that that's part of what makes them appealing, is, like, you... And speaking as someone who is starting to get more and more into fighting games and has done martial arts for 16 years, there's kind of a similar feeling of, like, improvement and, like, training to get better. Like, it, it's a weird comparison to draw, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely there. Like, I, I feel like there's something else I need to say about fighting games because I was the fighting game guy. <laughs> Yeah, and you still, you, I mean, you still are. We have not we have not played each other in Kingdom Fighters 2002, but I know that you will beat my ass when we do. <laughs> I mean, it, it's possible. <laughs> um, I, I really feel like you kind of covered all the bases. Uh, I feel bad for not contributing anything to this no, you're particular fine. point. We were, we were chatting about it. Uh, I That's got excited fair. and started talking. Uh, <laughs> I, I do, I, I want to come back to fighting games in a way. There is okay. a specific game that I want to talk about after we're done in the playbill. How about that? <laughs> what what a transition. Smooth like butter. Hey, now we're in the playbill, everybody. This is where we talk about other shit that we have going on, other things that we want to talk about, other things that you should go and check out. And to start with, hey, Dylan, tell me about Big Robots. Big Robots? Those are one of my favorite things. Um, <laughs> in particular, I like the one show about Big Robots called Macross, which is a show about Big Robots. <laughs> and hey, you listener, if you like Big Robots, you can talk about Big Robots with us. You can't talk, it's a podcast, but you'll hear two people talking. <laughs> Uh, you you can hear me and uh, our mutual fr friend Coop. Uh, we will talk about Macross on our podcast. Dude, you remember Macross, um, which you can find on Anchor.fm slash Dude, you remember that is Dude, as in Dude, where's my car? That's Coop's joke, and I'm gonna keep running it into the yep, ground. That's just fair. despite Chris. Uh, we are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You should also go and give a listen to our favorite other well. One of our favorite podcasts, The Unexplored Places. It's an actual play podcast currently using the scum and villainy system to tell stories about middlingly successful space criminals. Dylan and I are both in it as cast members. It is a great time. Uh, the last few sessions we recorded, which will be coming out in the, in the coming month or so, were 
straight up some of the most fun I've ever had playing an RPG, mm-hmm. uh, and I cannot wait to listen back to them, and you should listen to them too. If you want to do that, you can find them by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com or going to at unexploredcast on Twitter where they tweet everything out. Uh, and you should really give them a listen if you like actual play shows or sci-fi or spooky shit or really just having a good time. Mm. Something I really like, and you know, you can edit this out if it's not, uh, if it's too lengthy, but uh, something I really like about the systems that we play in uh, the Unexplored Places is that I like D&D, but I, I feel kind of limited by what I have in D&D, whereas I feel like in Monster of the Week and in Scum and Villainy, like I can be a little bit more creatively minded. Yeah, there's there's a an element of, and we could, we could do a whole show on this. I have a lot of thoughts about oh, yeah, like, TTRPG design. You know, we don't talk um, about tabletop RPGs enough or tabletop yeah, games should, enough. We should do that. Uh, but yeah, that there's something about like, I like D&D and I like Pathfinder and I like those really like crunchy rules heavy systems from like the same part of my brain likes that as likes, you know, old school RPGs Mm -hmm. on like video games from the like figuring out how to optimize and like figuring out cool builds perspective. I mean, I I just talked about how the fun of Fire Emblem is trying to figure out the outcome of a battle before it happens. But there's something in actual play about how much a less rules heavy and more like player driven open-ended system allows you to do that I think is really helpful, especially for actual play shows. And I think is something Mm -hmm. that we've been doing some cool shit with recently. Uh, So again, go, go listen to that, everybody. It's very good. Make sure also to go check out the other shows that we on the network that we are a part of the HP video game podcast network. You can find them on Twitter at HPVG pod network. They're always retweeting all the other shows, which are about video games from a bunch of different angles from like the news side to the, uh, like more analytical side like we do to the development side to the fandom side it's it's all kinds of good stuff and you should go check them out and thank you as always to our patrons over at patreon.com slash bsg pod for funding this show and making sure that we're not losing money making it which is incredible and we appreciate the hell out of all of you and if you like the show and want to help us do it more and do it better patreon.com slash bsg pod is a great way to help us out with that now let's get back into the action action <laughs> So I, I do want to talk for a little bit about a game that I think I've talked about on the show before. It would shock me if I didn't, because I was really obsessed with it for a while, uh, a year or so ago. Um, and it is a game called Absolver. Uh, it's a game that I picked up on Steam. It is still functional, though the, the devs have moved on, so it's not getting updates anymore. Uh, and it is a martial arts deck-building fighting game. Right. I was trying to remember. I'm like, Absolver, yeah. I know that. And like, I'm, I would be shocked if I hadn't talked about it before, but I think it's a really cool thing to talk about in this vein because the way that Absolver works is it is a fighting game. It's a 3D kind of exploration game where you have kung fu fights with the people you run into, and it kicks ass. But the way the game works is that you build yourself a deck of moves. So you only have two attack buttons, essentially. You have a button that goes through your list of attacks, and you have a button that is used for what are essentially stance change attacks. And then you can use uh, the right stick to change between four stances, which is facing front right, facing front left, facing back right, or facing back left relative to the person you're fighting. And you build out move sequences, four move sequences that start in each of those uh, stances, 
And each of those moves, some of them will stay in the same stance and some of them will move to a different stance. And this is all very like complicated sounding and it's a weird game. But in essence, what it means is that you build your own martial arts style out of like this this huge list of different moves so you can like build your own fighting game combos chris i know build you your don't own... have a ps2 i feel like god hand would be your jam if you could get i have heard the, nothing but good things about god hand and i really really low want to try humor it. is like the one thing that makes it a, a tough sell for me yeah <laughs> but like you know if you can get past that i think you'd really love uh the combat yeah no i've i've heard very good things about god hand's combat um but yeah, like that, and that game, I think, in the way that mar- that fighting games already are very good abstractions of like fighting, Absolver that takes it a step further by allowing you to, like I said, build your own combos and like the game. There's an element of like you know there's competitive online play with it, and in that vein, there are moves that are like just better than others from a frame data perspective, like. There are moves that start up quicker, so that you're that you're basically always going to want to have. But if you're doing like the P, the PVE and just doing like the the story mode essentially against the NPCs in the world, that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much. And you can just like build a combat style that you think is cool, and then learn how best to use it, and you will be able to win the game. And I think that's cool as hell. Uh, the other really cool thing about it is that you learn new moves by blocking them. So if you come across an NPC who knows a move you don't and you successfully block it and then beat them, you will learn you will fill up a progress bar towards learning those moves, which has such like huge wuxia film energy that I absolutely love. <laughs> uh Absolver is really cool. Like I said, it's not being updated anymore. It's it's not a an incredibly populated game. But I think it's only like 10 or 15 bucks on Steam, and I would highly recommend it. I think it's really fun. And if anything I just said sounds cool, you should check it out, because it does more right in its like weird imagining of this martial arts-centric universe uh, than I have seen in most uh, in most film in, like games. And I think it's really cool and really worth checking out. Uh, what else? Did, what else was on your mind, Dylan? Because if you don't have one ready, I have one to pose to you. One that I'm not going to be able to talk about much, but that I hope you can. I have two, and I actually I'm curious to hear what you have to say because it might be what's on my mind. I wanted I want to hear your thoughts on Devil May Cry. Okay, not actually where I thought we were going. Yeah, I can talk we, about Devil May Cry. Yeah, what, I, what do you want to talk about? Well, what I want what I'm curious about is like Devil May Cry and like character action games in general, but Devil mm-hmm. May Cry is kind of the granddaddy of that. That's it's also the one I have the most experience with. Yeah. Uh just the the way that everything about those games is turned up to 11. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And the combat especially and the I am I am not great at character action games. Well, but I mean, watching... like, what 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 character action games have you actually played though outside of well, the, God of War? I guess the only one that I've like beaten uh, was Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, mm-hmm. and I wasn't terrible at it, but like I was not getting S ranks on those missions. Okay, that's fair. I'll, uh, although I uh, no, that that's its own conversation. We can we yeah. can continue for the episode. <laughs> um, but like that's that's kind of the thing is like those those games. I think it's so interesting the way that, again, kind of going with this discussion of like how the abstractions of combat reinforce what the game is trying to do as a whole, 
the the way that they encourage you to like go absolutely ape shit in those combat encounters does so much for like the character of Dante or Virgil or Nero or whoever you're playing as in that moment. Right. In a way that I think is super cool, but I'm also not super equipped to talk about. <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's totally fair. I, I think, like, the, the biggest thing about Devil May Cry is there, there's two ways I can approach this. Because there's, like, the people who play Devil May Cry, uh, and then there are the people who play Devil May Cry. Because, um, like, you know, th- there's... I would I would say I'm a pretty casual Devil May Cry player. Um, mm-hmm. I know how to do stuff like jump canceling. I know how to. Uh, I I understand how inertia works in Devil May Cry Four. Like I get the basic gist of it, but like there's there's a lot of really advanced tech where it's like Chris, are, are you like at all familiar with like the melee scene for Smash Brothers? I'm a I'm a little bit. Like I've watched some competitive melee. And it hurts my brain, and I usually don't watch it for very long. <laughs> Congratulations. That's kind of what um, high-level Devil May Cry play is Oh, like. good. That's wild. <laughs> like, I believe you, and I've seen some clips of people doing insane shit. Right. So, yeah, I, I think what makes Devil May Cry special, from a casual perspective, because let's start there, because that's where, I, where I'm at, I think what makes it special is just be, uh, the fact that not only is everything surrounding it, like, the presentation of everything, like, really cool. Like, even if you're doing a basic three-hit combo in Devil May Cry, it, it feels good. I I think on top of that, there's there's just so much variety. And, uh, you know, starting with Devil May Cry 3, because Devil May Cry 1 is uh, pretty straightforward. But I, I would say it's just as good because of that. But, like, by Devil May Cry 3, um, Dante has, like, four different stances or they're they're called styles they're basically um different functions that are mapped to the circle button but you have to commit to one for like an entire level if you choose it um okay. and then like then you have different weapons in devil may cry 3 you're allowed to have two weapons and two firearms and so your jobs interact with your firearms in different ways are you know the gu- the gunslinger style interacts with all your guns in a different way but then you can also choose the swordmaster style which um interacts with all your weapons in a different way so you also have nunchucks you have swords you have uh dual swords you have you have a motorcycle <laughs> a literal electricity like an electric guitar that fires electric bats at people oh um, my god just like you know like it it's it's crazy and it it kind of evokes that same like whoa factor that a lot of 90s shooters had with like the like let's see how ridiculous we can make our weapons and like that and that it alone is like really fun to play and so like the absurdity kind of dials it all up and it just makes it feel that much more intense uh for the player now on a higher level what makes devil may cry appealing for so many people is just the the there's advanced tech that is both in some cases intended by the developers and in other cases not intended by the developers but there are things that people can do that like allow them to just be up in the air doing combos for like a minute at a time make like 
I, oh man, I'm sorry, I'm getting excited just talking about some of the cool stuff I see when people play Double May Cry. <laughs> just, uh, someone look up a, a True Style tournament clip, uh, you can find them on YouTube, where, like, people will be dancing in the air, basically, juggling opponents while literally warping around them. It's, it's really hard to describe, but, like, just people have turned playing this action game into a form of self-expression. And I, I think that's what makes character action games in general so so appealing for so many people. Uh, I, th- I think I know what my next YouTube deep dive is going to be. <laughs> yeah, that sounds rad uh, as hell. Yeah, I, I don't know if they did them for when Devil May Cry 5 came out, but like back in like, I want to say we were freshmen in college uh, and, you know, a little bit before then, uh, there were these things called true style tournaments where people would upload combo videos of them just like jamming out with Dante or Virgil or Nero in some cases um and just showing off what they could do that's so cool i love that i there's something very cool about like like you were just saying turning it into like this is how i do it yeah kind of that that kind of self expression through play is like fascinating and something that i'm not really aware of a ton of other games allowing for in like the you know the standard action sphere right that's really cool yeah i so yeah that that's why i really like devil may cry it's just kind of really fun to see what people are able to do with these systems and these mechanics i had one last thing i wanted to talk about yeah please so yeah uh, i wanted to talk about like both Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy and how, you know, the the way combat, at least for Dragon Quest, the way combat is abstracted hasn't really changed much over the years, but, like, how the way it is presented has. Um, and that that is doubly so, uh, maybe quadruple so for Final Fantasy. Looking at clips of the Final Fantasy 16 trailer right now. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I I think so Dragon Quest for most of its run, um the way combat is abstracted is you get into a random battle and you are looking at the monsters that you're fighting from a first person view. Um you are you you queue up the actions for all of your party members to attack and the enemy AI does that off-screen. Um and once everything is queued up, uh, the round of combat starts, and based on character speed stats and whatever, um, they will execute the they will execute the commands that you give them. Hopefully, for an outcome that you were anticipating. Um, and there there's a degree of like randomness to that, and a degree of gambling and like thinking like, all right, I really need my healer to heal now, but uh, I'm going to see if the healer will be able to get their turn out before this enemy does. You know, yeah. l- little stuff like that. That's that's also kind of how the first Final Fantasy is, except instead of a first-person perspective, it's kind of a side profile. Yeah. Except there's this, there's this uh, I guess maybe because, like, the NES couldn't... For, for whatever reason, in the very first Final Fantasy, um, the character sprites are in their own window, and the enemy sprite is in its own window. And so I forgot about that. Uh yeah, it's... I haven't played my NES copy of Final Fantasy in well, I haven't lived at my parents' house where the NES lives in 
eight years. Oh yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a minute. Holy shit. <laughs> um yeah, so that's how they do yeah, it. No, I so when, they, forgot when a character that. attacks an enemy, they take a couple steps forward, sling swing their sword a couple times, and then, you know, boom, next turn. Yeah, and then, you know, uh Final Fantasy two kind of put all the enemies and characters on one window. Final Fantasy IV had layered sprites, so it could have the character standing on the background, so it's not just them fighting in the black void anymore. Um, also, Final Fantasy IV made the fights uh, play out in real time, so you're not queuing up your attacks anymore. That level of abs- abstraction is gone. Now, when it's a character's turn, um, they will get that turn in real time, and while combat is still flowing, you can go into the menu and select whatever attack or spell you wanted to use. But, you know, if you turn on the right setting, the enemy can still attack you while you're deciding. Yeah. And they held on to that through... All the way from 4 to 9. I was going to say, like, 8 or 9, right? Yeah. Um, And then 10 was really its own thing. I don't think we ever really quite went back to 10's combat, but it's it's decent. Um, It's just not... You know, it's its own thing. Uh, 10-2 kind of brought back the uh, real-time combat. And now, like, different abilities have different uh, queue times. So that's cool. And then Final Fantasy XII came out and was like, oh, by the way, uh, we're going to inspire Dragon Age Origins. Everything's (laughs) real-time. Everything's, like, there's no random battles. The abstraction is more... uh, Is less presentation and more uh, mechanical now. And so, yeah, I, I guess, like, Final Fantasy's always kind of been trying to push its presentation to make the combat less and less abstracted while still playing with RPG elements. And that's kind of bringing us to today with uh, Final Fantasy XV, Final Fantasy VII Remake, and Final Fantasy XVI, which are all action RPGs rather than straightforward RPGs with, like, an element of real-time. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the uh, gameplay trailer for 16 looks so cool. <laughs> dude, I'm so excited. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about the combat quite yet. I, I kind of want to see how uh, character building works before I get excited. I want to see yeah, how character yeah. building works. I want to see... Oh, but it looks cool. And it's uh, one of the, the lead battle programmer is... Um, someone who worked on devil may cry five yep yep so that's exciting so that's exciting (laughs) yeah it's final fantasy is such an interesting one because like while there has been some constants they've also done like a huge amount of revamping over time and thinking about like final fantasy 7 remake Mm -hmm. which i think is a really cool kind of middle ground that they managed to find where it was real like a real-time action game but the goal of the real-time action game, more than anything, was to charge up your turn-based move meter, essentially. Yeah. Like, I thought that was a really cool way to handle it. I thought it was fascinating. I, I have so some cool. issues with it, but that those issues have more to do with, like, I want to do the interesting combat thing because this enemy is out of reach and I can't really do anything else. But now yeah. I have to wait for my meter to fill, but I can't fill my meter because I can't attack the thing. Yeah, definitely not perfect, but, like, a very cool way of kind of bridging the gap in terms of, like, design philosophy. Absolutely. Between 7 and, like, 
15. Yeah, I think all of my grievances with uh, 7 Remake's battle system, I hope they iron out the kinks in the next uh, installment. Yeah, and we will we will see what they do with that. Uh, that's kind of all I had for for this. I just kind of thought it was... I mean, like I said at the beginning, combat is one of those things, especially given that in most games, it's like the main thing you do. It's your main way of interacting with the world around you. Mm-hmm. That it has, a like, the way that they choose to present it and the way that they choose to make it feel has a huge amount of impact on, like, the overall feeling of the game. And I think that, like, this overview was fun, and I, I would like to return to this at some point. Like, there might be some specific game that comes out that is just, like, warrants doing a real deep dive into all the, like, the interactions there. Uh, but I hope that y'all had fun listening to us geek out about games that we think do combat cool. Uh, and if you did, let us know on social media. Tell us about some games that you think have a unique or interesting approach to the the puzzle of how to do game combat. Dylan will tell you all about how to reach us on social media just after I finish telling you that we really appreciate you listening. And wherever you're listening, whether that's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Store, Stitcher, any of those good podcatchers, remember to leave a rating, leave a review, share us with your friends and family, post about us on the internet. Let everyone know that you like our show. Make it your core personality trait. Please don't actually do this. That would be terrible. Also, if you want to reach out to us or know anything more about us, please consider going to bsgpod.com. That's where you can find bios about me and Dylan. You can find info about the show. You can find a contact form if you want to reach us directly. All of that is very, very good. Go check that out. Hey, Dylan, what's up? Um, Not much, Chris. I was just checking our social media page on Twitter, Ooh. where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Mm. Oh, yeah, and we also have a Facebook or something if you're a boomer. <laughs> amazing <laughs> um yeah but you know if you if you want to hit us up if you want to talk about any of the ideas we put forward on the show or anything um we would really appreciate it if you use that hashtag bsg pod um also huge thanks to our friend brendan french for the key art he has provided our show as well as our current twitter face uh twitter profile pictures um that man does great art. You should check him out at his Squarespace on brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrenchart and on his Twitter at brennan underscore French. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. He's a fantastic musician and composer, and you can, if you like our theme song, you can find all of his great electronica music by going to soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thanks again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. Go listen to some of their other great shows. They're always being retweeted over at HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. And thanks again to our wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It means the world to us to have the support that we do. And if you like our show and you want to help us do it more and do it better, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the place to do that. I think that'll do it for us for this week. We hope you have a good one. Stay indoors. I don't know why that came out here but it's important so stay indoors (laughs) bye bye now
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.